I think I have just a, a unique access to, you know, a bunch of young guys, players in the league that uh, they don't know what they want to do with their money. And they might not trust an outside third party because, hey, you've never played in the league. You don't know what I've gone right. through. I, so I just think that's a great, you know, a great way to help preserve some of these athletes' wealth. Welcome to the Accredited Investor Podcast, where you'll learn from the world's most successful entrepreneurs, business leaders, innovators, industry titans in commercial real estate, business, marketing, sales, tech, blockchain, crypto, and emerging trends. I'm your host, Jonathan Tuttle, founder of a private equity firm focused on acquisitions of niche commercial real estate along with traditional businesses. Also, I founded a digital growth consulting agency for business owners, helping them with digital marketing, Web3, and crypto solutions. Very fortunate today to have a quarterback from the Houston, Texas, Jeff Trisco. Welcome to the show. Jonathan, thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to our discussion. Yeah, as well. So first, I'll just give you a little, if you give us a little background of kind of like, you know, started out high school, whatever you want to start with. Yeah, so... uh... Growing up, I was all in on sports. That was basically everything for me. I was a baseball player, highly recruited in baseball and football. Um, I decided to pursue a football career, and I went to the University of Florida. Uh, played there for four years, enjoyed my time there, graduated. Um, and then after I graduated, I decided to transfer to Louisiana Tech for my fifth season, and I was able to get my uh, MBA from there and played well enough to be drafted in the sixth round to the San Francisco 49ers. Um, and I was there for, as we as we call it in the league, a, a cup of coffee. I was there for just basically the off-season program <laughs> and training camp. And uh, I was cut. And, you know, it's, people think once you get cut in the NFL, you're, you're just done. You know, you don't get to play anymore. But uh, overnight, I was claimed. Uh, my contract was claimed by the Cincinnati Bengals. So um, I played there for three years. I was able to start you know, a handful of games, six, seven, eight games uh, over my tenure there. And then I got hurt. So when you get hurt in the NFL, you basically get cut. So <laughs> when I was when I was cleared to play um, after I got released from Cincinnati, uh, I signed with Detroit, played one, one year there, started four games, and then I signed with the Denver Broncos, a two-year contract. Uh, but contracts in the NFL don't mean much. My two-year contract turned into a one-year one year contract. Uh, they, they cut me in the off season and then uh, I signed here with Houston Texans and, you know, I've loved every minute of it. I love the organization, love the people that I work with. So, you know, all that to be said, I've, I've been in a bunch of buildings, I've met a bunch of people and, uh, you know, just excited to, to continue my career here in Houston and, uh, you know, plan on playing football as long as they let me. Yeah, that's, that's a great story. And I, I had a Wikipedia <laughs> and for guys, if you Google him, <laughs> I was, uh, he was a member of the elite 11, which is pretty crazy that if you guys Google that, it's basically the top prospects for quarterback in high school, correct? Yep. And if you look at the NFL, it's like basically like who's who in the NFL or who's going to be the, who's who are the quarterbacks in the NFL. And you actually were the best of your year. Yeah. So I was, it starts out like little regional camps, and then if you're the best one at your regional camp, you get invited to another one. If you're the best one there, you get invited to the real deal, um, Elite 11, and that was in, in California. I mean, we, we were talking before the show about the counselors um, who were kind of the top college players mm -hmm. uh, that year. And there was a bunch of uh, 
NFL players now that were counselors, uh, Tyrod Taylor, Andy Dalton, mm-hmm. uh, Kirk Cousins. They were all counselors uh, my year. And then uh, Teddy Bridgewater was also in the same Elite 11 class as I was. So uh, it's been fun to follow, you know, everybody's career, get to know people outside of football a little bit. And, uh, yeah, that was a huge honor to uh, to not just be invited, to, but to be named the MVP of that group. Yeah, that's pretty crazy when I saw that. And then you got drafted by Boston Red Sox, which is even, even cool, too. Like, not even playing, you still get drafted. It's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I always tell people there's there's 40 rounds in the in the baseball draft, so they got to take somebody. Yeah, so they just uh, they said, hey, man, if you ever want to play football we want, or baseball, we want it to be for the Red Sox. So in college, I'm like, hey, you know, give me a couple bucks. I'll give you my rights. What do I care? So they, they actually give you like a contract even if you don't play? Oh, yeah. I got a, I got a contract. Uh, so I basically signed my rights over to the Red Sox. And uh, if I ever if I ever play baseball, it has to be for the Red Sox. So it, at least it was by a great organization. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, yeah, they're one of the best, you know, baseball organizations ever. So that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Then you said you went to the University of Florida. Yep. So, and then you went to Louisiana. And then you had your senior year, or your fifth year. You had over 4,000 yards and was it like around 30 or 40 touchdowns, something like that? Yeah, there was a lot. We had a really good team that year. Uh, we were very productive on offense. So, yeah, it was, I played five years. I was able to get that fifth year mm-hmm. um, because I redshirted my – would have been junior year, so my third year because I broke my ankle, you know, like the second game of the season. So I was out for the year. So I was able to get an additional year. So um, that's how I got, you know, the fifth year and, you know, graduated from Florida and – Got my MBA, so made uh, efficient time, or I guess was efficient with my time in school. Yeah, that's awesome. And just preparing for your future. And so a lot of these guys, and it's different with NFL, right? You have to play, is it like a minimum three years before they could draft you? Is that correct? Yeah, so you got to be three years removed from uh, from college to be eligible for the NFL draft. I think basketball's one, baseball's, yep. you can draft it right out of high school in baseball. So it's it's different in every league. I don't. It, it would be tough to... To come into the league, to, into the NFL, with less than three years removed, it's it's a grown man's league for sure. Yeah, the guys are a lot. I mean, I think NFL players are the most talented of any sport. I think they're they put themselves to the most rigors, you know, just the contact sport and just uh, just the physicality of it. It's just I think it's the best sport. In baseball, you kind of you watch the players and like in the dugout, they're just kind of chilling. Neither. <laughs> yeah, it, there's a lot to it, that's for sure. But appreciate uh, appreciate the kind words. Yeah, and then so, what is uh, what's a like, diff- typical like for an NFL player? What's a typical week for you? What does that entail? Yeah, so Monday and Tuesday is kind of like our weekend ish. Monday is kind of a debrief from Sunday's game, quick intro for your next game. Tuesday is typically your off day, where you come in and you make your body feel good, you get some treatment, you lift, you know, maybe watch a little film on your own. Uh, to get ready for the week. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday are really the uh, the big days for game plan, practice, meetings, things like that. And then uh, Saturday is a travel day. And Sunday you go you go play and do it all over again 17 times. So it's a long season. We, we always say each week is a one-game season mm-hmm. just because we're so much into each game and it's so hard to find a win in the NFL. So it's, a, it's an exhausting season, but uh, it's very rewarding. Um, I love the process of putting a game plan together and, and going and executing it. So it's it's challenging but rewarding at the same time. Yeah, NFL is like every game. I think that's why 
And so, I mean, there are only 17 games, and what he has now, it's only three preseason games. So it's like compared to any other sport, you know, baseball is 162. You can watch, miss half the games. Really doesn't matter. Basketball is 82, and I don't, know, I don't know how many hockey is actually. I think it's around 60 or 80. But so every game counts, and that's why when you go to games, I love going to NFL games because it's like even people are wearing costumes and the tailgating. It's just like a, it's a whole different experience than any other sport. Yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into it, and uh, you know the fans like like you kind of alluded to people get super excited and you know we love that we feed off that energy and that's you know that's what makes the nfl in my opinion the you know the best sport best league in the world i got a question for you who do you think is uh players in the league that most people like would sleep on they think they're not they're, they're way better than most people think they don't get enough recognition from like reporters i guess they'd be the best player. probably every single offensive lineman yeah. this guy <laughs> In order, in order to block some of these guys, it is unbelievable. The guys that they have to block are like 280 pounds, six six. They get a free running head start at you, and you got to stay in front of them. And so, I mean, offensive linemen get no credit, but I mean, just purely blocking somebody way harder than it looks. Oh yeah, like so Garrett or uh, Mac or somebody coming at you like basically bodybuilders that can sprint. <laughs> it's uh, they always say an offensive lineman has a good game if you don't hear their name called. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's nice. Who's your favorite? Uh, who do you think was your favorite teammate from all the different play- teams you've been on? Favorite teammate? I'll I'll name two. Um, one, Andy Dalton. Um, in Cincinnati, we were teammates for three years. Mm-hmm. Really good friends to this day. Uh, I just love the way that he carried himself as a person and just kind of took control. You know, the total operation, and you know, I kind of you know watched everything he did and you know took mental notes and. Uh, you know, try to emulate that and, and how I care myself as well. So I think that uh, he's helped, you know, my my progress up to this point in my career. Um, and the other being Alex Erickson. We were also together in um, Cincinnati. He plays for uh, the Carolina Panthers now. We just became really good friends. And, you know, in the preseason and practice, we always had a really good, I don't know what the word is, connection, I guess. Mm-hmm. He would always get open and I, was, I would always find him and you know, we were just productive together. So those are those are two guys that really stand out. Nice, yeah. Andy with the hair, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. It's no no like <laughs> he doesn't move. Yeah, exactly. some kind of similar. Name, but his hair is awesome. I love it. <laughs> and we were talking before. One thing we've noticed is a lot of you know NFL players. The average, she says, about three or four years, three years that length of yep. uh, you know time in the league. Yep. And one thing you've been focusing on is. It's just, you know, creating a future for yourself outside, you know, creating your real estate and just learning new things from like crypto NFTs. First, why do you think, is there a reason why you think some of these players don't really pay attention to like their contracts or is it just, it's just what's kind of the sentiment in the league in that regard? Yeah. I mean, I think most players, myself included, have been working to get to this point, which is really the pinnacle of you know, of the sport Mm -hmm. for their whole lives. That's all that we've worked up to. That was the end goal. And now that we made it, we feel like after this, it'll all be, it'll all be cake. I'll be set for life. When for most people, that's just not the case. You mentioned uh, the average career is three or four years. We always say NFL stands for not for long. (laughs) You're really in and out of the league. And when you're out of the league at 25 years old, you have no work experience you know, you don't really know what to do. It's a, it's a tough place for a lot of guys. So I've just tried to maximize um, where I am and I've tried to, you know, network as much as possible, get in front of the right people and educate myself so that uh, 
when I do either retire or they tell me I can't play anymore, the transition will be a lot easier. Yeah, that's great. Do they provide? Is what is most? Is it mostly sports agents that provide direction for athletes, or how does that kind of work? It's managers, or yeah, I mean, some guys do, um, but I think a lot of it is kind of self-directed. I mean, you kind of got to do it on your own. I mean, I'm I'm sure that's how it is out there. I say the real world out there in the business world is, you know, nobody's going to hand you anything. Right. You got to work for what you want. You got to know what you want and you got to, you know, take action to, to make sure that happens. And, uh, you know, I've, I've made sure that, you know, each off season I've started to make those steps uh, and put the pieces in, in or put the pieces in line mm-hmm. to make sure that uh, I'll, I'll be able to hit the ground running once my playing days are over. Hopefully not for a long time. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so your main focus right now is real estate, is that correct? Yeah. So after my first year, you know, I realized the off season is pretty long. You know, you work out a couple hours a day and next thing you know, you got nothing to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, I have the type of personality where if I'm not doing anything, I get grumpy. I feel like I've, I'm wasting time and I, I don't like to do that. So I just started to research and, um, you know, I found out that you know, a vast majority of wealthy people in this country and around the world have made their money through real estate. So I said, well, you know, why not look into real estate? And, you know, the more research you do, the more clear it is that it is a great avenue to create wealth. And um, there's just so many opportunities, so many different asset classes, Mm -hmm. and just so many ways that you can enter the space that it made a lot of sense for me to start to pursue that. And, uh, you know, I've started on a small scale, and I feel like I've progressed every off season. Uh, done a couple deals each off season with different people uh, to build that network and really just to learn the ins and outs of you know how a deal is put together and what that looks like for um, you know everyone involved. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's just being proactive and getting ahead. And like you said, I think it's about I don't know if the stats correct. You know, most stats are wrong, but they say ninety percent of uh, people who made their first million was through real estate. And right now it's Real estate, as you alluded to, is it's crazy. We're seeing the cap rate compression if you do commercial real estate, and there's a housing shortage for single family on the residential side. And you're seeing res- brokers making like ridiculous money right now because the supply and demand economics. Are have you been focusing on? Have you done a commercial? Have you done some residential? What are some of the projects you've worked on? Yeah, so I started out the first the first thing I ever done or ever did was, you know, I just did a you know, a single family house. Mm-hmm. I went and I basically read the bigger pockets, you know, and I found the the worst house in the best neighborhood. <laughs> and it was awful. It was, a, it was a lot to deal with, with no experience, but just like anything, once you're in, you figure out a way to do it. And, you know, we, uh, we were able to, to make the house perfect. We made it awesome in about six months. And we just, that kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of, of what you can do to an asset. We added so much value um, and it was worth so much more than we put into it, not overnight, but um, in six months. And, you know, it really helped me learn the players that are needed to get a deal done, you know, kind of in a much smaller deal that'll help me later in my real estate career on much uh, larger scale. And did you keep it or did you flip it or sell it or running it out? The plan was to flip it, but then we also realized that we got to live somewhere. We still live in it to this day. So you got, and, the, original, you got the first one and then you ended up in it because <laughs> you liked it so much? And then uh, we've had it for like three years. Nice. And we, we found another one that we're doing the same thing to now that we're going to live in. And then we're going to sell this one and move on from there. But, you know, we have some uh, 
some single family homes that we um, hold for mm -hmm. rental. I'm an investor in uh, mobile home park. I know. Uh, up in, yeah. oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really know. Like, I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't, I was just kind of ignorant to the space. So I went out on the due diligence trip just to see like what, what all was involved, mm -hmm. you know, what zones you have to turn over, you know, what's good, what's bad when you're, you know, looking at a deal. So going out and, you know, working on the due diligence trip for three or four days in the snow, nice. you know, it, it helped me realize what I was investing my money in. So when I, when I invest, I try to do it, not just to make money, but, you know, to learn something and to network as well. Nice. And you said the snow is, is an upper Midwest or? Yep, up in Michigan, so. Yeah, it's crazy. I didn't even know that. It's like, I'm thinking, like, I've done this space 15 years, and now it's kind of getting mainstream, and, like, it's just crazy on the cap rate compression because one thing with the beauty about mobile home parks, if people aren't familiar with it, is it solves affordable housing because it's typically one-third the price of a single family or one-half the price of apartments. Apartments are skyrocketing because last year, most of the rent, people, some of the people weren't paying the rent, and so now they have that that's over with, and the government says you have to pay now. And so like the landlord is like, hey, we got to make up money now. No doubt. <laughs> so the average, I think the average uh, national apartment rents like thirteen or fourteen hundred, and the average mobile home rents around depends if you don't take out the coastal cities is around four hundred bucks. So and then the cool thing about mobile home parks is usually the real estate taxes are like ten twenty bucks a month, and they get the same school, same fire, so people actually get. Really quality, if it's well maintained, really quality affordable housing. At the same time, the investor gets the most resilient cash flow of real estate. So that's really cool. That I didn't know you're involved with parks. You didn't even tell me that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, like you said, it's great to you know build wealth, but you know just seeing how you can elevate a community yep. and just provide a space where people can be proud to live in is something that you know I definitely enjoy being a part of because, as you know. Some of them are rough. A lot of them are rough. If you can go in and get out a couple of the uh, the bad tenants, clean it up a little bit, the people really do appreciate that. Yeah, that's one of the things with our fund. We have the stigma. I know you mentioned bigger pockets; they have a fund, but they're also mostly focused on multifamily now because bigger investor, you know, ultra high net worth uh, family offices, which manage people that fifty hundred hundreds of millions of dollars. They seventy percent of them invest in multifamily because they're familiar with it. And now people are starting to come into our space, but the deals are smaller. And then the stigma, like when we did so much advertising, we get a lot of people from multifamily and they just, some couldn't get over that hump of the stigma. And it's like, well, we're not going away. It's probably because the mom and pop owners, about 80% mom and pop owners, mobile home park owners. And some of these guys kind of just let it go and they just collected rents and just didn't put any money back in the CapEx. And then us, like, you know, you know, some of the other guys that are our age that are, you know, trying to turn that stigma around, trying to rebring back to these parks, because what happens if they get torn down, there's no affordable housing after that. So it's about 50% of our tenants are senior citizens. And the cool thing is with senior citizens, next year, Social Security is going up 5.9% uh, due to inflation. So they hedge against that. So they still they'll have more money. So even if you do raise around like 50 bucks, it's, they're making an extra $1,000, 15000 2000 or two thousand dollars more per year, so they're still going to have more money for groceries. So everyone wins. Uh, but the main thing when you get over a park is you want to make sure, like you said, put some money back in the capex. You know, put make it a quality community like our parks, like the ones that are the nicest ones in the area. So sometimes they'd like, I'm like, no, we people message on Facebook Marketplace. I'm like, literally, Google us and compare it to the other parks. So, but what other asset classes have you uh, kind of? You said parks, you have single family. Is there any other asset class in real estate you're kind of exploring or looking at? 
you know, I'm looking into the multifamily space, looking into commercial real estate, and uh, I haven't, you know, done any deals, but uh, really educating myself to be in position um, in the off season to, uh, you know, get in on some of these deals and really know what I'm doing and, you know, be probably a, a more hands-on investor than, you know, a lot of these, a lot of other investors are just because my main goal isn't to, to make money. It really is to learn so that, like I said, when it's time to, to make moves, I'm ready and I've been there and I've done that and I can, you know, talk the language. Yeah, yeah. Multifamily, I like multifamily. That's our next one. We're probably going to, we're going to do mostly syndication deals right now, but then for the next year. And then after that, we're probably going to integrate with some multifamily just because you could buy mobile home parks. So now they obviously the capital is compressed, but you're not getting, when you have some people, we have some pretty big investors now. And so like money is not really an issue, but they, right. they want the bigger deals because they have so much money. And that's right. the thing about multifamilies. You could literally, just because of the amount of doors and just over time, you know, you can make double two and a half X, you know, over 10 years longer you hold it. And then you have the 27.5 years depreciation for units. So it's pretty cool. You get really good tax benefits. Yeah. A lot, a lot of, a lot of good things come from, from buying and holding real estate. So the more, the more, the better. Lots of doors, lots of multifamily opportunities. Have you looked at any type of business acquisitions or anything of that nature? Or is that- I haven't. That's kind of next on the agenda is, you know, learning how to do that, uh, you know, what to look for, um, trends in the market. So that's kind of next on the agenda, maybe a, an off-season project, um, but not quite there yet. I see that you're you're kind of doing that yourself. Yeah. I've kind of been following that. Yeah, I think uh, I'll just give people some context right now. There's a couple of ways. Uh, if you ever guys follow Roman Frazier, I was just at his conference in uh, Austin, and he's a big-time player in a lot of different businesses. Marco Simonis was there, Kendra Perkins, which is one of the richest Southway Women in America. And right now, a lot, just like mobile home parks or apartment buildings, majority of the owners are baby boomers and they're either going to retire and like 30% of them, are, the kids don't want it and they're just going to let it go and the employees can't afford to take it over. So there's a really big opportunity to acquire some of these, and I call them like indestructible businesses, like plumbing, HVAC, you know, roofing, trucking companies. Things are like for the next like 10 years, technology is only going to improve on it. And so it's a good opportunity. And there's a way you can acquire it. It's doing a special purpose vehicle. It's like how Wall Street does their deals, which mitigates your risk. So it's a pretty cool way to protect your downside. And then right now, the government, because there's a shortage of uh, trade jobs, a lot of times they'll give you a 90% leverage. <laughs> you only have to put like 10% down. Then it comes out to about uh, 15 to 17% with the, the SBA's seven closing fees, bank fees, lawyer fees, all the count, everyone. But it's better real it's better leverage in real estate and you're getting something that has twenty, thirty years plus plus employees, plus you know, cash flow. And the cool thing about it is if you buy with an SPV, that, that legal structure, it's kinda of like if you're doing a syndication or if you're doing a PPM for real estate, you basically cover your your rear end if something goes bad. You could have like the bad assets in one and the employees and the profit and the revenue in the other SPV. It's kinda of a level level stuff. So yeah, yeah check it out. Like it's cause you get some really good leverage when you have the time. Obviously buying a real estate's a lot easier because it's more hands off. Buying a business does take, you know, you have to make sure you do a lot more extensive due diligence because if it's a service based business, you want to make sure that the number two person doesn't leave and take the employee. Yeah. Have the right <laughs> people in place and you yep. know going back to the acquiring businesses, it seems just from almost an outsider's perspective, you get the same opportunities as if you are buying those mobile home parks. You know, mom and pops, yep. you know, maybe haven't 
done the work that they maybe might have in the past to build up the business. So there's an opportunity to yep. improve the business and get it at a discount and uh, still be able to provide the service that the customers used to. So it seems like a, it seems like a great model and uh, something that, like I said, I need some of that information that you just have speed to get it all, to write it all down. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, I guess I was thinking of some closed information. I've taken a lot of education on that, but yeah, like you alluded to, it's uh, just like, well, that's why I like it. A lot of the service-based businesses, you, they don't even use 80% of them don't even use Facebook or Google ads. And it's like, that's where your customers are at. But they've done so well, they're doing multi-millions without it. They're just like, oh, I'm good. But that's why private equity and like this really savvy investor is like, all right, we'll come in, we'll put in technology efficiencies, operational efficiencies, marketing efficiencies, and then you just track how much we put in, how much we get back, and then they increase the equity multiple, and they saw they put together two or three of them, and they saw a higher multiple, and they sell out. So it's pretty cool. No doubt. And is there, who is like one of your biggest mentors? Like uh, you said, Andy Dalton. Uh, how about for business wise? Have you any like? serious investment like is it been podcasts or is it been books or is it been a person yeah i would say um really the bigger pockets is what you know kind of got me going mm-hmm. kind of changed my mindset of what's possible and what's not and then i kind of try to latch on to one or two people each off season and you know you try to try to you know the buzzword is add value so <laughs> i always look for ways <laughs> you know you yeah. hear that enough i try to um you know just show people that uh you know, if you bring me on as an investor, I want to help. I want to learn. You know, I think that just having a relationship with myself moving forward would be beneficial for both parties. So that's that's what I've done. Not not one person in particular, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I just kind of in my local Orlando market, I try to, you know, get close to a couple people that are like minded, you know, have high character and are, uh, you know, willing to spend a couple minutes with myself. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, bigger pockets. They have such a monopoly on their real estate. I know it. Yeah. $180,000. That's what I saw. Like, just whatever the calculator I saw. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but it's they don't really have any competition in the real estate uh, podcast arena. No, they, they've done a they've done a great job of just continuing to to put content out there and just really to me like the X's and O's of it is 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 great, but it's more of just the mindset mindset shift and listening to um, you know the guests come on and all the different ways that you can be successful um, in real estate is just what's really attracted me to that. So it's it's been cool to hear about people who are only in single family and people who won't touch single family, and they're both doing great. No, and that's a great great point you brought up. So you said mindset and that's the, one of the things which I, when i first reached out to you i was talking there's a lot of similarities between being an athlete and like that's why so many these athletes they, they don't even realize they have some of the main skill sets they need to be successful in real estate they just need to have the, the right mentors right guidance because yeah. and it's half the battle and it's just being you know the tenacity the grind the, you know endless work and sacrifice as part of like what you guys do and there's no guarantee something you get, like i said before you get injured and all of a sudden it's thrown away or somebody they draft somebody else and like it's just crazy different scenarios what are some of the mindset uh tips that you give people like if you like for focus on game or for or your business yeah so you know when i just gave the the brief bio on myself you know i mentioned i probably played for like five teams, four or five teams in the NFL, two teams in college. Mm-hmm. I mentioned one of my injuries that sidelined me for the season. I 
broke my arm. Didn't know. I didn't have any movement in my hand for months. So I didn't know if I was going to be able to play anymore. Yanked my hamstring two times. That sidelined me for a long time. Uh, broke my thumb. And all, all this time, I was really sidelined from, from my game. And, you know, the first thought is I'm never going to be able to play again because I got hurt or I got cut or things aren't going well. I just always, every opportunity or every setback that I had, I just, you know, looked for a way to, to improve myself in that situation. So I just think that, you know, if you don't succeed the first time or, you know, what you're doing isn't playing out like you want it to, there's all, there's always more opportunity. And, uh, you know, that's just the big thing that I've taken away from the hard times in football. Cause there's a lot of them, but there's also a lot of awesome times. I'm sitting here in my sixth year in the NFL, you know, that's twice the NFL average. That's awesome. But, you know, as a young kid, if you would have told me I'd be, I would have gotten cut four times by now, I would have thought, oh, I'm done. But that's just not the case. And I'm sure that's the same way in business. You know, you know, maybe your first business fails, you know, so what? Just go do another one. Yeah, no, that's exactly, yeah, just that mentality. You just can put your head down, just keep, just keep, you know, moving towards a goal and just keep focusing, you know, being agile enough and not like take small little hits or small injuries yeah. Just take that as part of the part of the game. And I think there's so many great analogies to sports and, and actual business. Sometimes people, and that's why when I, you see some of those like uh, motivational quotes and post, posters, a lot of those, like we, for me, it was when I used to play basketball in uh, high school. It's like some of the same stuff they say, and it's like so true, though. And yeah. you know, like, when you hear it first, you're like, ah, whatever. But it's pretty pretty true. It comes down, life could be simple if you make it simple. Yeah, you got to, sometimes you just got to put your head down and, and do the work that's required. And, from a you know sports side we've always have coaches and trainers and you know all the pieces are right there to help you out but you just got to take advantage of those resources you know you got to go to them if you have a question you got to go out of your way to maybe get that extra workout in hey my hamstring's not feeling great or hey my arm's not feeling great can i get a little you know massage or whatever it might be it's just using all the resources that are available because there's a lot of them out there you just have to be able to use them wisely yeah that'd be nice it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like yeah let me get a massage right now <laughs> but uh what are your goals you didn't like obviously you want to play as long as possible and you're on the path to do that what are your kind of goals for the next to say after because we don't want to put a time on that but after football what are your first kind of priorities so i mean i think when i get done i'll definitely you know take a few months to uh you know spend a little time with my family mm -hmm. they've gone through a lot they've had to move four or five times over my career and I understand that that takes a toll on them. So I'll definitely uh, just show the the gratitude that I have for them and their resiliency as well, because they've helped me along the way. But but after that, I won't be able to sit around the house for long. I'll definitely be looking uh, to eventually make my own fund, you know, and, and be, yeah, I would love to be able to, you know, be a connector of money, be a, uh, a sourcer of deals and, uh, you know, I don't want to put myself in a box. So there's there's a lot of things I want to do. It's just a matter of uh, finding the right uh, the right process to put them all in motion. So we'll get we'll, we'll we'll get back to that. I don't know my my goals right now, but we'll have to get back to that. No, that's great. I think the fun I I we were trying to reach out initially. We were reaching out to and we didn't know this. We reached out to sports agents, and they're like, we can't officially because like some law or something like that. We can't officially refer your people. I don't know if they're just bullshitting us, but. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. There is, there's a bunch of rules and regulations out there, and uh, easier to just say no, I'm sure. But 
I always, I always, you know, see myself in the future being the super cheesy, the quarterback of deals, you know, <laughs> you know just be the quarter quarterback them and put the pieces in play and, you know, connect people to money and money to deals and that whole process. I got to learn the process, but, yeah. uh, we are doing that now Learn for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a huge opportunity because I think, uh, there's, like I said, the average three years, there's, there needs to be some avenue. So some of these guys, they could just put a portion of that and then they could be like, all right, cool. You got cash flow. So after three or four or five years, you have cash flow for the next 10 years plus equity and then the tax benefits. So there's a huge opportunity for players. They just haven't had, you know, enough exposure and the right people in front of them. So that's, that's yeah, a really, really good opportunity. Yeah. I think I have just a, a unique access to, you know, a bunch of young guys, players in the league that, uh, you know, they don't know what they want to do with their money. And they might not trust an outside third party because, hey, you've never played in the league. You don't know what I've gone right. through. I don't trust you. So I just think that's a great a great way to help preserve some of these athletes' wealth. You know, teach them something along the way, just like I've been trying to be taught as well. So I think it's a good way to give back, but also a good way to uh, to earn a living. Yeah, no, that's that's a great opportunity. And then what is is there any? You mentioned uh, bigger pockets is one of your your go to. Is there any? Business books or motivational books or just sports books, anything that's been kind of like a good tool for you? Research? Yeah. I mean, the first one that comes to mind is Atomic Habits. Yeah, it's great. I like that. Yep. I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in things don't just happen. Um, you have to really just become automated. You know, that's kind of where we are in this world yep. is, you know, you don't want to put too much thought process into each and every action. You really want to automate it. And that's something that's helped me be more efficient in what I do on a day-to-day. A more... Another one that that comes to mind is Rich Dad Poor Dad, and that's more of just a mindset book. You know, a lot most people, myself included, you know, come from that same. It's hard for me to say Poor Dad about what what I was raised up in, but you know, just the mindset of going to college to get a job to earn enough to live, yep. and that's great, and it is. But um, at the end of the day, that's not you know how I think that I'm wired, and I think that mindset is you know kind of helped me take off a little bit. And then um, the last one that comes to mind is Shoe Dog. Oh, I love that. Bill Knight story? Yep. Yeah, and just the just everything that he had to go through yep. to become, you know, just the icon in in sports, really. I mean, he's probably the most powerful person in sports. Um, and just everything that he had to go through, the ups and downs, you know, the hard work that he had to go through and the trial and error, uh, it's super relatable. And it's, it's just encouraging to know that uh, at the beginning, you – you don't know, uh, you know, you don't know what's going to happen, but you know, you keep moving forward and uh, you trust your goal and you trust kind of your gut and you put in the work, you know, you, you'll be successful. Yeah. The rich dad, I think uh, well, a couple of points, the rich dad, I think that's the classic for everyone kind of the mindset uh, pivot basically. And I think it's even more relevant today because people are still pushing the narrative. Like you still need to buy a single family. You still have to buy that. And like, I know a lot of people that do really well and they just like, I'm going to buy my first commercial property and then the rents come from that pay for my property, whatever I want to get. And so it's kind of just pivoting to that because it could be a liability and just kind of, unless you're using it as an asset, that's great. And then shoe dog, I think one of the, that's a great, I think it's one of the better. That's, I definitely agree with you on that. It's one of the best entrepreneur books because it literally tells you, like his whole journey and the challenges and like that's literally real estate or just business in general, because actually more like in business in general, because things you think will happen is something you, you're going to put out fires is you have to be problem solving all the time and be just aware that there's things that you plan that happen are probably going to go astray. 
And you just got to right. move with it and just take action and just keep pivoting and pivoting and just keep moving yourself towards the goal. I think that's a, the, probably one of the most re- relatable book to business out there. I think it's, and it's really in depth. It's a pretty cool story. Yeah. One of the, like the word that comes to mind now, you know, as you were speaking on shoe dog was just momentum. Like yeah. once things get rolling it, and you keep pushing it forward, it's hard to stop. And it was, it was just fun to kind of, read about, see the momentum that he had and, you know, how he carried the momentum into the, the brand that he's created. Oh, yeah. Momentum is probably one of the key things because that's going to give you the endorphins and like that motivation. But like when you first start off in business, it's just like when you guys first start off playing football and it's like, it's the long journey for us in business is like pushing a boulder. An analogy I would say is pushing a boulder up a mountain and everyone's like throwing rocks at you and like, it's going to come back down and you're going to keep pushing and eventually get to the top and you're you can just start scrolling down the hill and everything's good. But everyone sees that part, but they don't no see first, you know, the first five, ten years before that. No doubt. So yeah, it's a great, great analogy. So he's a favorite blog, favorite mentor. Is there any question? I, I was on one podcast, and this was kind of cool. I was on a millennial uh, investor podcast recently. It's a pretty big podcast. One show is the We Study Billionaires, and the other one's for millennials. And the guy asked me, he's like, one question, is there a question you want to ask me? And I thought that was kind of cool. Put me on the spot. Give me, give me a couple seconds to think of one here. <laughs> yeah, that's how he was to me when he said that. I was like, <laughs> all right. So did you ever like hold a traditional nine to five job or a position that have helped, that has helped you in your entrepreneurial journey? That's great. Or did you I think jump straight into being an entrepreneur. Kind of. It was kind of, well, I grew up, my dad was, uh, well, I started off at like five or six years old. Because okay. <laughs> <laughs> my parents didn't give me stuff, I had to actually go out and get it. So I went, I had my little red wagon, and I went on it, I pulled the flowers out of our yard. <laughs> and I went door knocking, like, you want some flowers? And then I take that money and go to Toys R Us. And then when I got to like seven or eight, back in magazines, magazines were relevant, and I was an like 80s, early 90s kid, and they would have like uh, self cars, and you go door to door. So I go door to door to every person's house. And I would sell like Christmas cards, and that's what I buy my video games with. Uh, and then, but then my first real job, I would be say would be BB, and it was a women's clothing store in the retail mall. You know, malls are like dying now, but no back doubt. in like 2005 to like 2010, and they paid us eight. It was like eight fifty an hour. That was like the the salary. But if you were sold a million dollars a year, you get nine percent, so ninety thousand. And if you sold one point five million, you get one hundred fifty thousand a year. And I was a, and so that was my first. And so basically, I didn't want to make eight fifty an hour, and I was like in college, and like I discovered I got pretty good at it within the first like six months, and I became the the number one seller within the first year of the country out of like ninety five hundred people, and I started making six figures, and I hit the one point five, the first in the country, and so the business side of it was like, hey, I read the purple, I think it's a purple cow, it was one of those books, Malcolm Gladwell types books, and then I read about just the customer service, I read Rich Dad at that time actually too. And so I learned that building relationships. So if I didn't have those relationships, if I didn't hustle, if I didn't show up on my days off, I'd be making a 50 an hour instead of right. you know, 50 bucks an hour, 150K a year. And the cool thing about that was the Barbara Bass was also, she was one of the board of directors for BB and they had a really powerful board of directors. And she was also like top three or four, like right-hand man to Starbucks Schultz for like seven or eight years. And so I got to meet her. And so we'd have like conferences, they'd fly me out to Palm Springs in LA. And so I got to meet people 
in my mid twenties, there BB was became a billion grand, a billion dollar company, and then Starbucks obviously one of the biggest companies in the country. And I'm getting her perspective and mindset, and so we would have like quarter calls, and I got that really perspective. Like you could really achieve stuff when you look at those people and how they did that. And then I got to meet Manny, which is the owner of BB at the time. He sold, I think, most of his majority ownership, and he became a billionaire when I was there. And it was just really cool to see how he thought. That was the first time I met a billionaire. So basically going from like what should have been an $8, $15 job while I was in college became like 150 and then I got to meet, got me the self-confidence and learned how to like develop those skill sets of relationships building, hustling, building, you know, just that, my own business basically. And then also meeting people like here's where you can be. And that's what I want. That's what got me really into entrepreneurship. So that was a great question. Oh, that's that's super cool. Just like going back to when you were six or seven, I'm sure some of those same principles apply today, right? I mean, I think you know, just, just afraid. Yeah, I'm not afraid. I'm actually going out work. I see, I saw somebody post on Facebook uh, recently. It was like last year. It was like a mom saying, Oh, I wish I can't afford my kid the Wii or whatever it was. And I posted on there because <laughs> I'm going to root this on social media. I'm, I mean, like you see them show up, but like on social, I don't really care what I say. No, I was like, far. I can't She's like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, it's been, I'm like, that's what I did when I was that age. And I'm like, I want to want to get video games. I went out work. She's like, oh, so much more expensive. I'm like, you put it into the inflation calculator. It's actually the same price, you know, 20 years later because of price of inflation. But the whole point was, I'm like, a lot of people that just put out, go out and take some action. A lot of, that's half the battles. Go out and take an action and just being self-confident. Like, I was six years old. I go door knocking, eight years old door knocking and random people's houses. Maybe that's dangerous nowadays. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> it got me a confidence to just go out and just talk to people. That's what, that's half the battle. Yeah, that's huge. And, you know, being, being willing to, you know, take action and then the relationships that you build along the way, you know, that's, that's something that I value is relationships and working with like-minded people uh, when I get done. Cause I am right now at the highest level of, of my industry. So every day I'm walking around, you know, other people who are also at the same level and have achieved a ton. And that's, you know, the people that I like to associate with. And that's the people that I see myself, you know, in the future doing business with and working with. So, you know, that's something that I value as well. Yeah, it's great. And then what does Grant Cardone call it? The uh, more conversations equals more money. <laughs> he always has this really cool like slogans. I love his like little one-liners. Yeah. I don't, I don't think every conversation that I have, I have that intent, but maybe somewhere deep inside, I'm, you know, looking for <laughs> <laughs> and where can people uh find you at obviously instagram anywhere else i want to give you the handles yeah no I'm, I'm mostly just on instagram you know it's mostly pictures of my daughters uh if you want to check <laughs> if you want to see my my cute family you can check me out uh at jeff driscoll a couple football pictures in there a couple real estate pictures as well so uh you know i'm, I'm not super active but uh yeah you can you can find me on there for sure that's cool. how that's how we kind of connected so yeah i mean that's the cool thing about you know today's world you can just send message somebody online and the next thing you know they're on your show right <laughs> pretty cool pretty cool well thank you again for spending you know your valuable time on the credit investor podcast it was really cool having you on thanks everyone for listening thanks for having me Hey, it's Jonathan. I get exclusive access to great investment deals, opportunities from my community, my network, and just for my loyal listeners, we'll give you first access. Go to accreditedinvestorpodcast.com and sign up for the email list. Also, join the Accredited Investor Podcast Patreon group, where we give you additional exclusive interviews, monthly private 
group calls, and networking with others in this community, check out Accredited Investor Podcast on Patreon. Finally, I get a lot of people asking me for to help them one-on-one. Yes, I can, but it's very limited. Go to revenantascent.com slash consulting for any real estate investing exclusive access. Go to midwestparkcapital.com. All links are included below. Please like, comment, and share this podcast with other friends. Thanks for listening.